If you needed help at 4am, who would you turn to? What are the health impacts of feeling isolated? And in a world where more of us are living longer or choosing to be on our own, how do we protect ourselves from one of the biggest problems facing both the older and younger generations? Loneliness. You see, the dictionary says being lonely is sadness without friends or company. But perhaps being alone isn't as simple as the meaning suggests. From the people who've worn the t-shirt and got the postcard of facing life alone, to those connecting them with a new lease of life, to the GPs and health experts seeing their patients transform firsthand. This is Discover Bright Life, a podcast series challenging the idea of what loneliness really is and what all of us can do to help to avoid it. For more information on this series, visit brightlifecheshire.org.uk. Discover Bright Life, because sometimes the best medicine is a good laugh in friendly company. Our connections with people are at the core of everything we do. Even a smile, a good morning or a nod of the head from a stranger can lift our spirits on a grey and dreary day. But what if it was your job to help cheer someone up, to help them reconnect with the world and find a purpose in leaving the house and bother with life? That's the role of Bright Life social prescribers. There's no set task, no set day and no set schedule. Their only job is to find the people who need a helping hand, listen to what they have to say and find the right answer for them, for their interests, for their locality and their passions. It's not the job of a social worker on an hourly basis or limited to a strict rotor. What this team do is different for everyone and every employee. And so on this episode, we meet Catherine Hussey and Chris McMahon from the social prescribing team. We hear of some of the things that have shocked and surprised them and also how their expectations have changed from when they first started on the project. When I saw the advert, I knew that this was something that I wanted to get involved in, um, that it can make a difference and that there's a a big movement nationally around social prescribing and that it would be great to work on a project in Cheshire that is new and there's new evidence coming through from it. How about you, Catherine? I think it was the same for me. When I saw it advertised, I kind of knew that it was a job that I wanted to do um, and I was being made redundant from my old job. Um, so I just applied and here I am. And when you came for your interview, um, I remember that we held the interviews um, in local church rooms mm. and our our admin um, actually left the desk for a couple of seconds and, and you shot in. into yeah. the room, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah. you were nicknamed the weird. ninja. Yeah, I did think it was weird that nobody was welcoming me, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we were really impressed in your interview about your knowledge of the types of feelings and how isolation can come on to people um, and being able to make relationships with people. So once you got started and you came into the team, was it what you expected or have you found different different um, things? I think 
the majority is what I've expected, but the people that I've met, you know, kind of some of the people that you see in the situations have maybe shocked me, as in, you know, how you become isolated. And I don't know, I love the job, but it can be quite, quite sad at sometimes. But yeah, I do like it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that has really come out for us as a staff team is that we go to see some people and it can really touch something within us. Yeah. And when you're dealing with that day after day, you have to have the support and that resilience in yourself Mm. because the emotional aspect of social isolation and people feeling lonely can really impact on that person and then when you're talking to them you can you can really feel it emanating yeah. from somebody and I can't think you it's a privilege to be invited to the house you know you, you're going there they don't know who you are and you know you get to know them they give a lot of personal details to you and they're opening up to somebody that they've not met and I think yeah it's I feel quite privileged to be in that position really but and I think the team that we've got behind the job is, is great um a lot of support and yeah I love it one thing for me is that it does feel special when you can go into somebody's house and quite often I think they trust us because if they've been referred from a health professional, that's someone that they trust. Yeah. And then you go into somebody's house and you can you can actually see them start to, to blossom when they start talking because we're really lucky we put in about two hours for our first appointments with people to really get the chance to to ask them about their life and what they would like to change. One of the things I really like about the project is that we have got the time to spend with them and chat to them and find out about everything about them, you know, why they live in a certain area, whether they were married, children, whatever that is. And I feel that that brings up a really big connection with that person and builds up your relationship with them. And, yeah, I think it's a lovely part of the job where I suppose sometimes other people might not get the time to do mm. that and spend that time with them. I mean, we do have, obviously, the paperwork you have to do with every project. But, um, yeah, getting to know them and finding out about them for, as a person is really, really nice. Yeah, yeah. And I think for some people you can see they haven't talked about those sort of things for a long time. Mm. And, and they really, it brings back new memories for them or, yeah. you know, memories that they've forgotten about or that they're, they're not recognising very often. And then you can pick up on things and, and with the knowledge that, um, you know, the three prescribers have of, of what's going on in their area, you can see in somebody's mind it's yeah. ticking over, oh, there's this or there's that, I could mention this later. And it's that being able to connect things together. Yeah, and it's not about, I suppose, me going out and saying here's a list of stuff to do it's getting to know that person and trying to see what they want to do um there's no point me saying you know because for lunch club if that's not what they want to do um but yeah I just think the people that we meet it's what makes the job worthwhile definitely Mm. people like to have a role people Mm. like to be useful they don't want to always be done to they want to be able to do things and with the volunteering opportunities, uh, you know, and that can be a real range of things. There's different things in my, our minds, isn't there, when we yeah. meet people? Sometimes you can forget about that person, you know, who they are, where they're from, but this project obviously it doesn't do that. And I think that's a real selling point of the project. And yeah, mm-hmm. A couple of the people that I've met, when you go in and they, they welcome you, um, take you into the living room or you sit at the kitchen table with them and some 
people are really pleased just to have a visitor, to have somebody to offer a cup of tea to. Yeah. And they sit there and they can be nervous. They're worrying about what you're going to ask them and how intimidating it might be for them. And yet, once you start just chatting and, and it's those picking up on different clues. So we use looking at body language, trying to make a person feel comfortable. And you're looking around the room and be able to say, oh, look at that photograph, that's beautiful. Who's that in the photograph? Mm. And, and being able to bring out stories of their life from that. And you can see somebody, they just sort of like the shoulders come up, mm. they can have a different expression on the face and they're more willing to talk. And I think, you know, things like that, you can, when you reflect back on it, you see a real difference even just within, say, yeah. that hour, two hours that you've mm. spent with somebody. I think, yeah, the journey that you can see from the start to you know, the couple of months down the line to how where they were to where they are is amazing. Like the group that I've looked at in Malpas, you can see people have been through lots of journeys um, and how they've come out the other side and have really kind of blossomed and it's, it's really nice to see and that's, you know, what kind of gives me the satisfaction that you are really making a difference. Um, but see, I've met some some really lovely people that have, you know, tell me a lot about them. And mm. and you can see, can't you, the confidence grow. And a lot of the time, I think that's it. People have said to me that when they've been isolated and they lose their confidence, they lose something of themselves, they feel that they're not important. Mm. And it's very difficult then to talk to other people about themselves. They yeah. think that other people are more important than them and have had more varied and interesting lives mm. and then all of a sudden they seem to feel like actually going out and well I can tell I can tell yeah. my story to other people and then you find commonalities and I remember a lady at a drop in I was sitting to her sitting next to her having a chat with her and she spoke to me for about half an hour I think and then she said oh I don't know what to say to anybody and I said but you've just you know you've spoken about a lot of different things so you, you do but it's about the confidence isn't it you know they need the confidence to actually speak to somebody speaking to me is okay but actually speaking to somebody in a group you know might be actually quite daunting um but I think people don't give themselves enough credit a lot of the time so. mm. when I've been to a couple of groups what I really like is is the respect that people have for each other mm -hmm. and for new people coming to the group they realize that that social isolation and and feelings of loneliness can be so demoralizing and can have a massive impact on somebody's physical and psychosocial well-being um, and that loneliness is an emotional state and you feel lonely and I always remember um, going to one of the Chester drop-ins and there were two ladies there and one lady said she feels really lonely at times quite often during the week and yet she has, when we chatted a bit more, she has quite a bit of contact with people. Yeah. So you would say she's not actually socially isolated or not one of the most socially isolated people. But for her, because she used to work and she had a big family around her who for different reasons are not there anymore. So she felt very, very lonely. Yeah. And I think it's that, it's really interesting everybody's individual and that difference between loneliness and a person's yeah. you know it's subjective isn't it and I mean loneliness can happen to anybody at any age and you know they say that you can be lonely in 
in a busy room just because it doesn't mean that you're by yourself you're lonely you can be in your family married whatever that can be whatever reason you mm-hmm. feel lonely um and yeah the project working on this project is really nice to try and help to stop people being lonely by connecting them back in the community and but yeah being isolated can be can be awful for people you know they haven't got anywhere to turn they don't know what's available for them and being able to help them is is great really and the statistics are showing that like social isolation and loneliness can be as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day you've stolen my line or being you know or being obese the physical effects can be um can be as bad but also i think so many people who um they find it so difficult to admit to being lonely yeah but like the national campaigns with the joe cox commission and you know age uk and the difference i think it's becoming more mainstream isn't it now where people are talking about it and it's you know people are recognizing it Mm. remember went to see a lady um she's in a 50s and she'd never tell anybody that she felt lonely and she worked she was really busy but she just felt really lonely and talking about it I suppose is admitting it and that can sometimes be one of the big hurdles isn't actually saying well I actually I am lonely yeah um but yeah I just think it's it can be a really sad situation and being able to try and help that is is great Mm. really and one big you know group that come through for me is people who are carers Mm. And those that they're caring for, they yeah. will often uh, say to other health to health professionals, you know, oh, well, you know, my husband say, or my wife is lonely and they could do with some more interaction. But actually them as a carer for that person, yeah. they've got their own loneliness and, and their when, own isolation. Like I know, for example, when I've been out and um, to sort of meet the carers and the, the cared for, I'll always ask the carer about what about them, because it is sometimes a lot of, which is, you know, obviously understandable. They have the health conditions and things like that, but you've always got to think about the person that's caring for them as well, because there's a lot of the time. And also if that caring role stops, then they've got all that time on their hands and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know because I was helping out with one of the clubs between Christmas and New Year, which is a really difficult time yeah. for a lot of people. And the lady that I'd um, picked up, she was telling me that her husband has been a care home for four years, mm. and through different um, situations, she now cannot drive, and so she can't see him. She used to go every day, and she finds it difficult now because although he doesn't always know that she's there. For her, she knows she's visiting him every day and she is accepting that she is more isolated now because, and transport is a massive issue for people, but Mm. it costs her a fortune to get taxis because there aren't um, buses to go directly to the village that she needs to go to to see him. And with you saying about Christmas, you know, someone was saying to me about all the adverts and everything is about everyone's together, come round and you're feeding your family, but there's some people that don't have that and I think sometimes at Christmas and other sort of special times of the year it's kind of more compounded for people that are on their own um, because all the advertising is about people being together and spending all your time with your family, but that you know, for a lot of people, that isn't the case. And I just think it's quite it's quite sad, really. Um, I think for us, it's been really encouraging because last year, before Christmas, we got a couple of phone calls 
from different individuals and some groups saying, do you know people that want to come and join us for Christmas dinner or we're doing an event and Mm. we'd like to invite people. We've had even more this year and I think that's because it is much more recognised, you know, and it's more accepted that we all have to make an effort. We have to be community-minded, community-spirited and look after each other. There isn't Big Brother that's going to be able to fund things. We all have to take some responsibility. And I think that's starting to happen. I Mm, think that's really encouraging. Since working here, I've noticed it more sort of advertised, you know, about isolation and loneliness. That might be because I'm in the job, but I've noticed it more and I've seen it advertised and people talking about it and actually trying to make a difference, which is great. But it could be something really simple, you know, just saying hello to somebody, going and checking yeah. on your neighbour, whatever it is, just everyone playing a part in that. I know everyone's busy and they've got, you know, their, their own lives and they're working, but, you know... It's, and it's the sustainability of it, isn't it? Because we had um, people who offered, um, you know, a, a Christmas lunch for some people and they had a group of people round and they've really enjoyed it and they've said they're going to do that mm. on a regular basis yeah. throughout the year, which is is just wonderful because yeah. it's people recognising and then finding that what they're doing, they really enjoy as well, as yeah. well as the people that came along. Mm. One of the, the passions in later life is just being able to, to chat, to feel important. Yeah. But there are also lots of things that you might have done in your earlier life or that you never got the chance to do and I think for me that's one thing I know that I'm looking forward to at some stage (laughs) when I can retire and if the pension still exists then um you know being able to do things and I think through bright life and through you know the um, different activities that we're finding out about there are so many things that people can do they can try you you can reignite the passion in somebody you know they might have forgotten that they used to do something a group a skill and then you try and bring that out of somebody and then I just think the difference that you make for somebody and reminding them what an asset they are is yeah something to be really proud of really yeah I know like on a um during the week because we're lucky and we're near the men in sheds project Mm. um and they have women in sheds on a Friday and going over on different days and seeing people in there and they're learning new skills or they're they're showing somebody else how to use the equipment or they're just working together and making things either that are going to go to um, a local fair or something you know for sale mm. or just for themselves yeah. I know I've seen people coming in and they bring old chairs and things and they're yeah. doing them up and and then the pride you know when they've done something yeah. like that that they've not done for a long time if yeah. ever but it's you know you asked the question about there's some things on our questionnaire about you know do you just do you feel that the future looks good for you and that kind of thing? And they'll say, well, I'm too old. But it's trying to change that mindset, really, that you're, not, you're yeah. never too old to do anything. No. Um, but people have that perception sometimes. You know, you get over a certain age, over 50, 60, 70, whatever that age is, and they might feel that that's it, there's nothing else there, or opportunities, but there is. And it's mm. letting people know that, you know, there are opportunities out there. There's always... Um, steps to overcome to get to something whether it be your own confidence or some transport issue or that you have got a caring responsibility Mm. and then if you can talk with somebody about that and they can look at solutions with you because it's very person-centered isn't it very much at the person's pace or what they would like to do And we can encourage and we can support people and go along with them to different activities. Yeah, I think that's 
you know, one of the things that I think is really important, because even for me, going to a new group for myself, I'd always feel a bit nervous because you don't know who's going to be there. Um, but having, you know, somebody to go with you for that initial first time, I think it's really mm. important. And I think, you know, a lot of people do really feel that that's a benefit for them and it encourages them to do more. Um, and I'm taking a lady to one of the groups in Hull just to introduce her so that she knows what it's all about and then, you know, when she can go by herself, that she'll feel comfortable with that. And I think that's really nice that we're able to sort of offer that support as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, generally, I mean, I loved watching the um, the old people's home for children oh, on yeah, the, television, yeah. yeah, and just seeing, and some of those people were in their 80s, mm. and then the interaction with the children and having a purpose each day, and knowing, you know, there was that, the children running up and giving them a hug, and yeah. saying hi, and the smiles on the faces, and then, you know, you could see um, the the. the older people were really anticipating and enjoying yeah. what was you know the children coming in and that actually I remember one gentleman actually asked later on in the series could he join in as well mm. but the difference it made for those people and you know because that was quite an experiment and the scores for people yeah. and I think as we move along hopefully we can get more evidence that this does work mm. and that it can help to build stronger communities as well yeah You're listening to Discover Bright Life. Our aim is to explore new ways of tackling social isolation for those over 50. We'll return to Catherine and Chris in a moment. But first, I want to let you know what's coming up next time on the podcast. What you would have given when you felt worried or unwell, just to have someone put their arms around you and say, don't worry, you'll soon be all right. Amazingly, at 89, you discover you can sketch quite well, after always believing you couldn't even draw a line straight. You learn to write poetry in all shapes and forms, met friends not seen for many years, and made new ones of both sexes. Family and friends have seen such an amazing change in you. Bright life has certainly put the brightness back into your life. Looking back at it all, if you had known what was ahead of you, would you have thought you'd be able to cope? Maybe not. But you have, and everyone is full of praise, not only for yourself, Audrey, but of course, for Bright Life. Well, that's 90-year-old Audrey Thomas reading a letter to her 30-year-old self about the lessons she's learnt in life, the truth of facing unexpected loneliness and how she discovered a talent for poetry in her late 80s. And it started by Catherine helping reconnect her to a world of new possibilities. So let's continue hearing from Catherine and Chris as they delve into the nitty-gritty of how Bright Life's approach is different to what's happening elsewhere in the country. Social prescribing nationally is something that is, it's a movement that's building. There are more and more social prescribing projects um, some very small, not all called mm-hmm. social prescribing. Yeah, I think the name can be maybe a bit misleading. If you say you're a social prescriber, no one ever really knows what that is. Um, but yeah, it's about... And really, what is it? I don't know. Um, no, it's about really, I think, connecting people back into the community. So, you, you know, you might go to your doctors, you get a prescription for medication, you know, to sort of fix it, whatever that, antibiotics or whatever. But social prescribing can be 
the social side to the health and well-being. You're looking at the social social clubs in the community and trying to connect people back. Um, and that can really have a massive impact on someone's health. Um, say the lady in, in sort of in Malpas area that I've been to see or at the, the group, um, you know, she was really kind of suffering with sort of mental health. But I think seeing, being part of something has really helped her and I just think it you know, can be underestimated how much sort of social mm-hmm. interaction and just talking to someone can really help. And, you know, and it's, I suppose, the, it's about maybe we're trying to reduce going to the GP as much or hospitals because I think if sometimes you might get the same people that kind of go to GP surgery where actually all they want to do is just chat to someone and, you know, unfortunately GPs might not have that time but whereas we do really and, yeah, it's quite hard to define what social prescribing is because it can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Yeah, yeah. The fact that a lot of the... um social prescribing schemes are run by um people who are non-medical yeah um is actually an advantage because Mm -hmm. you're looking at the whole person it's about well-being it's not just about a medical condition Mm. um there's a lot of new evidence coming through around social prescribing it's not everywhere in our pilot we have a rural location of a village in cheshire that's malpas We've got the semi-rural town of Winsford and we've got the urban in that we're working in six areas in Chester. And I think that other places call people link workers or community connectors. There are lots of different models. Um, But I think the evidence is showing if maybe only anecdotally initially that it works, whatever it's called, whatever Mm -hmm. model there are, you know, results from each of them. Well, there's obviously a need, isn't there? Because if there's lots of different projects sort of nationwide, then and we're all kind of doing the same thing, but it's making that impact. Then yeah, yeah. and they're starting to bring the evidence together because there's yeah. the national network for social prescribing um, with the University of Westminster, and that's great. And I've been to a couple of events, and they've set up the Northwest Social Prescribing Network now. And I think the more that people can talk to each other, um, mm. and I know that when I went to that. Um, conference at the King's Fund in London the energy in the room was just amazing it was so invigorating and and motivating and inspiring Um, and that was when the general election had been announced and Prince Charles actually came along to the conference and he couldn't speak because of the purder with the general election but he still came along and I think that showed to people there you know that it really is important and that these you know these projects are something that people are taking an interest in yeah yeah what do you personally get out of the job Catherine I know you've not been with us for very long um I think it's being able to be that person that can help somebody you know if somebody's feeling isolated or lonely depression anxiety whatever that is and to be that person that can try and change that and support that person through that that's what I come to work for. Um, I mean, I, obviously I've done all sort of office jobs before, but I like to be out in the community, meeting people, talking to people, getting to know people. And yeah, I just, I, I do love it. You get some really good sort of outcomes. Um, I mean, there might be some people that you aren't able to help, um, which can be sad or frustrating that you, you, know, you want to do your best for that person. But yeah, I just love to see the, the change in what you can mm-hmm. offer that person and just see the... 
Yeah, the journey you can see they it take. in their face, can't you? Yeah. And the demeanour. And, yeah. the, the, you know, the way that they greet you. It can be with a smile instead yeah. of thinking, oh, I don't know whether mm. this is going to work for me. And you might get somebody that, you know, is maybe shy, but introverted, lacks confidence, but then you can take them to a group or you, the Bright Life drop-in, whatever that is, and then you see them interacting. It's, it really means a lot. You know, you, you can just see how far they come. Mm-hmm. And what a difference it makes. For me, I think there's so many people where when you first meet them and you can see they've got low mood um, and then you can see the change in somebody mm. and then when they're becoming proactive and they're the person who's welcoming you to the group or yeah. to the drop-in, um, that's just marvellous to see. And I think I'm really lucky because I get to um, experience that side of the job. And then more strategically, I know there's a lot going on in Cheshire at the moment around social prescribing. And we've got a lot of interest from health professionals, from the um, the commissioning groups um, and from the council. And I think that is just fabulous to see because mm. at first, and I've only been with the project just over a year, we never had that interest, no. you know, to that extent. So things are really building in this arena there's a lot of tough and emotional aspects to the job one of the things that really hit home to me was one when one of the team came back and said you know I've had a really tough couple of days there are people where their health has deteriorated and I don't know what I can find for them Mm. and when somebody's health deteriorates and the mobility, trying to get transport can be really, really difficult so that they can still access things. This person had had um, days where they'd, they'd had people who were finding things really difficult and then they said that affected their mood and they thought, you know, this is what could be ahead for me mm. and facing that every day can be really tough. And then you get one good outcome and one phone call from somebody who says, oh, we've got a club here and we've got a volunteer driver who will pick up your client. And that whole, you know, your whole mood instantly changes and you're able to see, you know, be a lot more, um, you know, welcoming of the future and thinking we are doing a good job. There are outcomes for people. And as you know, as you've said, you know, you're going in and you're seeing real people in real situations and it can be emotive, you know, you're not you're human. You're going in to see in those situations and you're touched by people's experiences, people's lives. And I think on a daily, day-to-day basis, you know, it can sometimes can be tough. Um, and that's why I think it's important that we've got the team that we've got so you can talk mm-hmm. about stuff and obviously you wouldn't talk about all the situation because it's confidential, but it's being able to, yeah, to get it off your chest because you are taking on, I suppose, some of their problems but yeah it's a very emotional job it can be because you're seeing people in sometimes their worst situation Mm -hmm. you're going in when they're at their most lowest and you can put yourself in that situation very easily you know someone you know they haven't got any family one lady I went to go and visit her property that she was living in was just you know it wasn't very clean it wasn't very habitable there was flies in the kitchen. She was a very frail old lady in her 90s, no support from her family. And it's just, it's sad to see that actually have got to that point. Um, mm. So, yeah, but obviously you have your highs and your lows with every job. But I think this kind of job is can be really emotive and, yeah, it yeah. kind of it, it reaches you really, doesn't it? So 
And one thing, um, another emotional, but on the other end, but the, you know, where something is just lovely is, um, you know, going to um, one of the Christmas get-togethers and people just going, oh, you know, chatting with each other for the first time. And then I can remember two ladies getting up and dancing. They both loved jiving mm. and they couldn't really move the same as what? they used to, but they did their best yeah. and were supporting each other. They were, they were hanging on to each other for dear life at certain yeah. times. But it's things like that and just the sheer enjoyment on the faces. Mm. And, you know, they were moving and afterwards they sat down and were like, well, that's it. I won't be getting up for the rest <laughs> of the day now. That's my bit. But I think, you know, yeah, but, I've said to you before, I've about, social prescribing and if you read the job description it sounds really simplistic you go out go where you are go to this club or whatever but it's not you know it's really because you would say you're dealing with people and people's Mm -hmm. you know whatever issue that they've got you've got to try and support and work with that person through that and that can take well there's no limit on really how long that can take um but yeah it's it is a good job yeah 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 there's always a lot going on (laughs) Mm. So my perspective of old age, I think I never, before doing these kind of jobs, thought about being old because, you, as you said, we see it every day. Um, but people can, I suppose, think negatively about getting older. Yeah. But with this kind of this project and other projects that are similar, it's making that a more of a positive thing. You know, getting older doesn't mean that that's that's it. That's a negative thing. It can be a positive. Mm-hmm. side to aging you know there are lots of opportunities um out there for people but it's yeah this job is I suppose maybe made me think about that in a more positive light and it's breaking down those those barriers of the negative stereotypes of getting older you, know, you see the also with the signs I always think about you know the the triangle signs with the two old people oh, on yeah. it with just the walking the, yeah, stick yeah just the, and all the adverts about older people on tv is all you know, nursing home, wills and all of that, but it's, it should be celebrated, not looked at in a negative way, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like our um, promotional materials and the marketing because it is about the positive yeah, aspects. Yeah, it's all about happiness instead of... And there's of... new opportunities, and yeah. I think there are more, um, you know, more positive images out there now. Mm. Because the population is getting older, there's going to be an awful lot of people aged over 50. And if you're 50 and just over, like me, then you are classed as an older person Mm. now. And 50 is, you know, when you think of our lifespan, that's still very young to me. But it's still the new 30, so. Leaflets in the supermarket. And then you're trying to target the more older people, but then you give them a leaflet, they're like, oh, I'm not that old. You're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> but 50 isn't old, but, you know, that, you know, can things can change at any age, but... Yeah, you know, things like the um, the real Marigold Hotel on television and people ex- going out to different places like India and China yeah. and experiencing how older people are treated in other mm-hmm. countries is really opening up yeah. the horizons in yeah. our country. I think there's a lot, um, a lot to change. For somebody who was thinking of, um, if they're starting to admit to themselves that they're isolated and that they have times that they feel lonely, I would say just just speak to somebody. If you live in Cheshire, you can ring Bright Life. There's always somebody to talk things through with. Mm. It's really good that we can come and do home visits, I think, 
you know, talk to one of the staff at your GPs or something. There's there's a lot of places nowadays that are recognising. Yeah, there is help out there, you know, no, as Age UK, you know, no one should have no one. Um, and I know that the first step of actually admitting it can be, you know, one of the hardest things, but there is help and support available for people and I'd be happy to go out and talk to them. It's uh, Yeah, it's just being able to support them and just talk to somebody about it. I mean, we've started collecting data that if there are gaps and transport is one of them, so we're looking at that and we're trying to feed that back to the people in the council, to, you know, to the local MPs and so that we can be making a difference so that going forward there's even more available for people um, and that everybody is given the opportunity to try something and they don't have to be yeah. sitting at home feeling that there's stuff going on out there and that they're not part of it. Yeah. We'd love you to be part of it. You mm. know, give, talk to somebody, give us a ring and we will do our best to make yeah. sure that you feel valued and that there are things that you can be getting involved in. And so, Chris, you mentioned sort of behind, you work, obviously, looking at things behind the scenes. And then this is only a five-year project. Do you think that sort of this will be around in five years or after the five-years period? I think that through this project and the, the five-year funding we got, they're looking to provide evidence. And I think social prescribing certainly is, you know, starting to provide that evidence that it's making a difference. Mm. And I know that... Um, a social prescribing service um, quite local to here in Halton. Um, and there's evidenced um, savings of £8.90 for every £1 invested in that project. And if we can produce any type of evidence of savings for mm. the government, for communities, for your local health providers, then that would be marvellous because I would love for this, yeah. you know, this type of project to carry on. I just think it would that be a this, shame, wouldn't it, if it's all yeah. stopped altogether? It would. And I think when you've got health professionals in, in certain areas saying, what are we going to do when you're not around? That shows that it's valued, yeah. but not only by the people that we are visiting and the people that we're trying, you know, our very best to get um, activities and connections for, but also by the health professionals because mm. they can see the value of it and yeah. it helps them in their roles as well. They don't have time on a 10-minute appointment or on a 20-minute home visit yeah. to somebody to really look in depth and be able to assist people in the way that we can. Mm. You've been listening to Discover Bright Life, a podcast challenging the idea of loneliness and exploring new ways of tackling social isolation for those over 50. The podcast is presented and produced by Claire Freeman and a small furry bear productions. For more information, visit brightlifecheshire.org.uk. Discover Bright Life, because sometimes the best medicine is a good laugh in friendly company.